Good morning, afternoon or evening, and welcome to Queerly There. You all voted for today's topic on Twitter, and I'm so glad you did, because this is one of my absolutely favourite things to rant about. We're going to talk about heteronormativity at Hogwarts. On the big screen, we're barely there, guess the heteros don't want to share. Well, I don't think that's fucking fair, so welcome to Queerly There. Now, this episode is broken into two parts, and both contain content warnings for mentions of pedophilia and rape. Not in any great detail, I just thought I should warn you ahead of time. And to be more accurate, I'm going to be talking about heteronormativity in the wider Harry Potter universe, but I said heteronormativity at Hogwarts because I enjoyed the assonance better. Obviously, the episode contains spoilers for the Harry Potter films and books. Let's get some definitions out of the way first. Heteronormativity, a term coined by Michael Warner in 1991, refers to prevalent and invisible norms surrounding heterosexuality. Basically, it's the assumption that monogamous straight relationships between cisgender men and women are the only way to be, or at least the default setting, and anything else is other. It ties in neatly with cisnormativity, which is the assumption that everyone is cisgender and that men and women have natural roles. Those that fall outside of these standard roles and relationships are ignored and socially devalued. Harry Potter is a series of books and movies that's mostly set in the 90s. I'm going to work on the assumption that if you're listening to this, you at least know the basics of the plot through cultural osmosis, if nothing else, because we've got a lot of stuff to get through. Let's start at the beginning. Dumbledore, gay wizarding icon of a generation, headmaster of Hogwarts. You probably know where I'm going with this. In 2007, J.K. Rowling revealed that Albus Dumbledore was gay, but was criticised for not making it explicit in the text. We get some hints, if you could call them that, but nothing that you'd notice if you weren't going through it with a fine-tooth comb like yours truly. In Philosopher's Stone, the very first description of Dumbledore says that he's wearing high-heeled buckled boots and a purple cloak. Well, undeniably fabulous. Obviously, wearing purple and heels doesn't make you gay. His outfit does fall outside the muggle gender norms, but given that all witches and wizards are dressed pretty eccentrically, this doesn't indicate anything much about his sexuality. You might argue that Dumbledore being gay isn't really relevant to the story. Or maybe you wouldn't if you've listened to some of my previous episodes about the importance of queer representation in media. But in the not saying it, my dear listeners, a lot of other assumptions come to fill in the gaps. JK also stated that when she was reading through the script for the sixth film, she edited out a line about an old girlfriend of Dumbledore's, scribbling that he was gay in the margin. I just realised he's quite literally a marginalised identity. And that's heteronormativity for you. Since JK had not stated Dumbledore's sexuality before that point, the scriptwriters assumed heterosexuality. In the final book, Deathly Hallows, Harry reads Dumbledore's biography, written by Rita Skeeter. In it, Skeeter implies that Harry and Dumbledore were unnaturally close, that their relationship was unhealthy and sinister, and that Harry had a troubled adolescence. Well, no shit. <laughs> the actual direct quote is, I devote an entire chapter to the whole Potter-Dumbledore relationship. 
It's been called unhealthy, even sinister. Again, your readers will have to buy my book for the whole story, but there's no question that Dumbledore took an unnatural interest in Potter from the word go. Whether that was really in the boy's best interest? Well, we'll see. It's certainly an open secret that Potter had a most troubled adolescence. Now, readers are probably well aware that Rita Skeeter is full of shit. Some of you may be aware of the myth linking gay men with pedophilia. It's a pretty disgusting myth with no basis in fact, and I wonder if Skeeter is building on that to fuel nasty rumours about Dumbledore. Obviously, she's trying to cast some kind of aspersion here, and I have a hard time reading it as anything else. Point is, it can be read as a very vague reference to Dumbledore's sexuality. If so, it is a gross and inaccurate one. Is this really the closest we get to Dumbledore's sexuality being explicit in the text? Well, no, thank god. His relationship with Grindelwald is usually the clincher. It's, it's the thing that people bring out when they want to talk about how it's obvious. There is no explicit moment in text about their relationship, but there are a couple of quotes that hint at it. In his letter to Grindelwald, Albus writes, I do not complain, for if you had not been expelled, we would never have met. He also later explains to Harry that Gillett's ideas inflamed him, that he pictured them both as glorious leaders of the revolution, and that he closed his eyes to what Grindelwald truly was. Now, me, with my rainbow-tinted glasses, reads that as super gay. But alas, in our heteronormative society, it could just be taken as deep platonic affection. Maybe. Rowling has confirmed that Dumbledore loved Grindelwald in the same Carnage Hall speech in 2007 where she outed him. It may be that the true nature of their relationship will be explored in Fantastic Beasts, and we'll get in-world confirmation that Dumbledore is gay. That would be cool, but I'm worried given how Grindelwald is a villain and, spoilers, his behaviour towards Credence in the first Fantastic Beasts movie that he'll play directly into the evil, gay, manipulative, pedophile stereotype. Yeesh. Out of curiosity, I googled hints that Dumbledore was gay. I got a lot of stuff about his outfits, he wears a floral bonnet at one point, and the fact that his pet is literally flaming. There was also mention of his levels of emotional sensitivity. Obviously, nothing conclusive or direct. My favourite clue, hands down, was that so few of us realised he was gay. Um, it's not obvious, no one noticed, so we should have guessed? Well, in that case, everyone in Harry Potter is queer too. Sorry, you said it, not me. We get a few indications that Dumbledore is gay, some of them incidental and based on stereotypes, some you'd only see if you were queer and desperately trying to relate. Some you'd only notice if you were really hunting. Apparently, an anagram of his name is Male Bod's Rule Bud. Fucking really? Some of them lean dangerously close to the queer villain territory, which is a whole nother episode on problematic representation by itself. And that's it. That's all we get. No one else is gay in the entire Harry Potter universe, huh? Can't be. Or JK would have mentioned it. That's the issue with tokenism. Once you've pointed at one dude and gone, he's gay, it implies that no one else is. Or you would have said because you're so progressive. Dumbledore is poor representation. 
It's not stated directly in text. His relationships with the men he cares about are described salaciously as dirty business by a notoriously unreliable reporter. His age and position renders him devoid of sexuality, and he dies non-threateningly single. It feels like he's shoehorned in. Last-minute representation designed to throw you a bone. I think his token presence makes the world seem more heteronormative by contrast, especially when considered against the backdrop of some of the other shit that gets assumed around Hogwarts. The girls' dormitory stairs were designed by the founders of Hogwarts to transform into a slide when the boys tried to climb them. Hermione says it's an old-fashioned rule, and it's due to the founders thinking girls are more trustworthy. It's not stated if this is the same for all houses or just Gryffindor, though I don't see why it wouldn't be the case. The tone of the scene in Order of the Phoenix is humorous. It's funny that Ron can't ascend the staircase. It's very heteronormative. It ignores the existence of folks outside the gender binary, plays into myths about how boys can't control themselves around respecting girls' privacy and boundaries, which they can, by the way. Screw boys will be boys. Boys will be held accountable for their actions and to a higher standard of self-control. It assumes that girls aren't going to be interested in going to boys' dorms for makeout sessions, and that same gender makeouts aren't a thing. Am I to infer from this that queer kids and girls are considered more sexually responsible and so don't need magical regulations? How about you can the old-fashioned rules and have some decent sex ed where you discuss consent and safety, huh? They're all kids, and all equally capable of being sexually irresponsible, because they're individuals. There's no gendered basis for being more respectful of consent, privacy, and boundaries other than what's trained into us by a heteronormative society. The staircases do allow for some fun trans headcanons, though, where characters' genders are affirmed by being able or unable to climb the stairs. It's kind of a happy accident of fans trying for some queer representation, though it's definitely not intentional on JK's part. In the films, the staircase is the same for boys and girls, so we don't run into the same thing. But there's still plenty of heteronormativity in the movie world. Harry and Hermione's relationship is an interesting one to discuss here. It's clear neither character is interested in the other romantically, books or films, but a lot of in-text and outside-text assumptions are made about their relationship. This is possibly due to heteronormative ideas about how men and women can't be friends, a la When Harry Met Sally. In-text, we get all that Rita Skeeter Witch Weekly nonsense during the Triwizard Tournament, where she writes about Hermione giving potions to famous boys to make them love her because she's not conventionally attractive. It's made very clear that this is crap. Having gossipy dating rubbish about a boy and a girl who are friends be criticised in text is actually a decent move. It shows this kind of heteronormativity exists, but that it's built on false assumptions. That's neat. Similarly, Ron's insecurities about Harry and Hermione's relationship are also debunked. However, in film, Dumbledore asks Harry if he and Hermione are a thing. I get that this could be scriptwriters trying to be real obvious about how platonic Harry and Hermione are, but it's weird to have Dumbledore, of all people, make that comment. Why would a gay man assume a boy and a girl who like and respect each other are dating? Why would the man who is best buddies with a woman, Minerva McGonagall, assume romance? Especially given all the other things already present in text that discredit a romantic relationship between the two, was this question ever needed? 
Perhaps it was required to make it abundantly clear to audiences, given how heteronormative our society is. Lots of people viewed Hermione and Harry's film dance in The Deathly Hallows as romantic. Personally, I prefer to read it as besties trying to cheer themselves up in a shitty time. My friend viewed it as more of a Nietzsche-esque fatalistic dance on the eve of a revolution and a world destroyed. But that's a Hufflepuff and a Ravenclaw for you. I mean, it's cool. Ship whoever you want. But there's no denying that assumptions about Harry and Hermione being together play into heteronormativity. So much so that it has been debunked repeatedly in text. Would that have been necessary if the world wasn't so heteronormative to begin with? Possibly not. And then there's the obvious JK saying that Harry and Hermione would have been better together than Ron and Hermione. And frankly, that's bizarre. Why are Hermione's only options these two boys that are her best friends? That doesn't make any sense that she can only choose between the two. Personally, I do think that Ron and Hermione work well together, but it's kind of damning that JK seems to think her best friends are her only romantic options. Yeah. The Yule Ball. The heteronormative social event of the season in Goblet of Fire. No mention of queer couples at all. No boyfriends dancing, no fervid of lesbian snogging in the rose garden, and no one asks out anyone of the same gender. This would have done loads to normalise queer relationships, but it's just not there at all. Now, I've been complaining a lot, so I thought maybe you guys would like a little joke just to break things up. What did asexual James Potter do when Lily declined to be his date? Went stag. And very funny. You can't tell, but I did the finger guns at my brand new shiny microphone. So, in the films, dancing lessons are given to the Gryffindors, and this entire scene reinforces heteronormative gender roles. Boys on one side, girls on the other. The boys are leaping lions, the girls are graceful swans. Ron is made fun of by Harry and his brothers for being made to dance with his teacher. Of the boys, only Neville shows willingness and joy in dancing, and this is played for laughs. It's also worth noting that Neville, sweet bean that he is, his character begins as a not conventionally masculine, wimpy comic relief, so it's kind of safe for him to enjoy dancing because, haha, it's just another way that he's not a traditional man. The girls are also viewed as targets for dating by the boys. I think Harry even says at one point, they always travel in packs. How are you supposed to get one of them alone to ask them? That's a bit creepy, Harry. The dress robes are fairly non-specific in the book, aside from Ron's, but in the film they're derived from muggle formal attire. No one dresses outside of gender norms, and Ron voices discussed repeatedly regarding his robes for being too lacy, old-fashioned, and feminine. Given wizarding dress elsewhere in the books, and how gender-neutral robes are anyway, this dress code feels pretty forced to me. The Hogwarts uniforms in film are gendered too. Pants for boys, skirts for girls. Based on British school uniforms, I imagine, but it's an odd decision given the, again, neutrality of robes. At the Quidditch World Cup in the fourth book, 
we see evidence of wizards not really getting muggle attire and how muggles often dress according to gender roles. Most witches and wizards dress eccentrically, in brightly coloured robes, and their attempt at dressing like muggles are unusual, with no real grasp of muggle dress code conventions. A wizard named Archie wears his nightie, and a ministry official tries to tell him that this is for muggle women only. Thankfully, Archie doesn't give any fucks. He just likes wearing it. It's weird that we get this complete lack of understanding about gendered clothing from magical people, and they all dress unconventionally and gender neutrally, and yet we wind up with gendered uniforms and gendered yule ball clothing in the film. It was around this point in the script writing that I realised the episode was going to be huge, so I've divided it into two parts. This first part covers dormitories, Dumbledore, and dancing. The second part will go into witches, werewolves, and I'll discuss some queer, potential queer readings of some of my favourite characters. Uh, in the meantime, please keep the conversation going on Twitter, at Queerly There. Don't be afraid to drop in your, your queer headcanons, tell me your thoughts about this episode or any of our other episodes. And because this episode is so ginormous, I actually have several recommendations, uh, queer media you can check out, but I will do them all in the second half of the episode. Um... That's just for ease in me editing. There's there's no other real reason for that. Um, but, you know, as always, you can check out the Twitter to see some of my previous recommendations for queer stuff. Um, and I would like to do the standard thank yous. So thank you, Danny Yurikova, for our wonderful theme song. You're very talented and I love you a lot. Uh, and thank you, Bo Moore. I love you a lot, too, um, for our beautiful album art. Uh, thanks to Saf at the Not Saf for Work podcast network, which is a network full of some great shows. We've got the Lasso podcast, which is all about Wonder Woman. We've got Wonisi, which is all about magical creatures relevant to Harry Potter, if you're interested. Uh, we've also got the Intergalactic Express, and Saf's just really amazing in like everything she does, so yeah, check her out too, because her website's got lots of really cool pop culture analysis on it and stuff, and some great photography as well. So yeah, subscribe to Queerly There Twitter, subscribe to the Not Safe For Work Podcast Network Twitter, uh, subscribe to all of the other podcasts on the network, um, check out our mailing list, subscribe on iTunes, leave a review, all that good stuff. We sincerely love to hear feedback from you, and audience interaction is one of the things that makes podcasting really awesome for me, so keep that up. Yeah, I, I hope you enjoy this and the following episode. Have a wonderful day, all you witches, wizards, and wixes out there. Stone, the very first description of Dumbledore says he's wearing high-heeled buckled boots and a purple cloak, which is undeniably blah, super gay. But alas, in our heteronormative society, it could be taken... I just got a text, fuck. Don't text me while I'm podcasting. Oh, excuse me, you have no idea how many burps I have to edit out every time. Well, 
in that case, everyone else is Harry Potter. Everyone else is Harry Potter. We all are Harry Potter. <laughs> Blah. But there's plenty of heteronormity in the films. <sighs> heteronormity? Just say words, Rowan. Stop burping into the mic, you weirdo. I get this could be strict. There, 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 there. <clears throat> Fucking, I'm having a drink. 